right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Trench Talk. And today we're joined by Derek Dennis. Now, Derek has been around almost every league you can think of from NFL to AFL, CFL, even joined the XFL for that little bit of period. So again, thanks, Derek, for coming on today. Oh, yeah, I appreciate you for having me, man. Yeah, of course. So, you know, we did talk about all these leagues that you've been in, um, most recently with the Stamps, and then you were with the New York Guardians? Yeah. Cool. And then so right now you're a free agent. Um, Now, obviously, you know, with the free agent market being very um, odd, I guess is, you know, a good way to put it with the whole COVID situation. uh, What's it been on like on your end with free agency with these kind of unknown times? I mean, right now it's kind of been been data. I don't think anybody really right now is guys going to come in on rookie deal price veterans. So the money that comes with signing me, Mm -hmm. I don't think teams uh, have it or are willing to spend it just now. So right now I'm just kind of in limbo. Uh, Right now it's just pretty slow, man. I'm not really getting too many phone calls. A lot of it has to do with me being a high price free agent and the price tag that comes with signing a guy with my resume. Right now, you see, you still see signings, but it's mostly rookies, guys who are playing on entry-level deals and they're not very expensive. So because I'm a higher-priced guy, uh, right now it's just kind of wait and see. It's going to be more of a, you know, if season gets underway and injuries happen or, or or they need someone to come in and kind of help, you know, solidify things, and I'll probably get a phone call in. But right now, I don't think it's going to be a, a mass rush to sign me just because, like I said, I come with a high price tag. You know, if, if you are in this kind of waiting game for getting in on some team in the future, what are you doing right now to stay prepared? Is there anyone that you're, you know, talking to about what you should be doing right now or that they know what's actually even going to happen? I mean, right now for me, it's probably more of a just, you know, trying to stay ready, stay, stay ready for a phone call if it does come. Um, I mean, life right now is a little crazy for the sporting world just because uh, – you know, COVID nineteen and what's going on. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, who knows? Who knows if anybody get a chance to play football this year? Who knows if everybody has to wait for twenty twenty one? I think the only leagues that are probably have a legit shot of getting sports up and running sooner before twenty twenty one would probably be like the major leagues, like NFL, yeah, NBA, like yeah, like the, the people who have the the, the capital to kind of, you know put all their players in, in a hub city and pay for, you know, testing and all that other stuff. Um, I think for a league like the CFL and other leagues, that's uh, probably a price tag that they probably just not, not willing to, you know, kind of pay. I think yeah. uh, a cancel season will probably be cheaper than trying to get guys coming in play. So, honestly, it's, it's, no one really knows what's going to happen. Um, just enjoying right now being a dad and being home with my family and just getting the time off that I probably normally wouldn't get normally around this time if I was on the team or, you know, other guys would be in training camp or getting ready for the season right now. So this is just time home that a lot of guys don't get. I'm just trying to take advantage of just being able to spend time with my, with my kids and, and my wife and enjoy that. Yeah. So then, you know, you've moved around a lot. You're from New York, but you've played in multiple different cities for NFL and uh, CFL at this point. Where did you create your home base now? Where do you reside? I'm in uh, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. So basically, when I came out here to play uh, arena ball with the Rattlers, I kind of liked it. Uh, I enjoyed it. You know, just being able to live in a warm climate and not have to worry about the cold anymore. You know, I've played yeah. in a lot of cold places. I'm from I'm from New York, so uh, this is just it's been my home base probably for the last four years. So I'm in Phoenix right now. 
but yeah, I've, I've been everywhere. Yeah, you've definitely been around. Um, so yeah, let's, you know, go back. Like you said, you're from New York. You went to your high school there. Um, and then, you know, while you're in high school, you did a lot of different sports, basketball, football. What made you choose to stick with football instead of, you know, continuing your time in basketball? Um, honestly, I kind of went the football route just because that's what everybody was telling me. I only played yeah. maybe like a year of high school football. Like it wasn't like a, like, I, like, you know, a lot of guys play the game at the age of six and up. Yeah. I started playing my senior year of high school and it was just kind of the past time until basketball season. Basketball was my first love. That was my first sport. Yeah. That was the, the game that I put a lot of time and effort into growing up. And uh, I did have – I had Division One basketball offers. Um, I was a pretty good basketball player in high school. Uh, I played with a lot of, you know, a lot of guys. I ended up going to the NBA or playing professional ball season. You know, a lot of my boys grew up with. So basketball kind of was my sport. But, like, mm-hmm. the fact that I was just a big kid and I was, you know, agile and able to move and all that type of stuff, people would always tell me, like, football's, football's a thing for you. And uh, my prep school coach, uh, Dave Karate, was kind of like the, the – the last like decider when I went to prep school for my senior year of high school and, and playing prep ball and he was kind of just in my ear every day like listen you know I've had guys come here to the school who thought they were basketball guys big yeah. basketball guys they ended up going on to the NFL so that's kind of just you know after talking to my coach and talking to my parents and uh just you know weighing pros and cons of if I did either or uh I mean, honestly, in my opinion, if I would have stuck with basketball, I probably would. I probably be playing overseas right now or something like that. <laughs> I, I think I was good enough to do that. Yeah, I decided to take a football scholarship from Temple. Um, I had some school. I had about like five or six schools actually offer me to play both sports. Yeah, and I just decided to stick with football, and, and I mean, that's where I'm at today. Cool. So, what's that actually? The difference between playing high school and playing prep because I, I do know of a couple kids that that were when they were starting to take you know sports more seriously in their you know two, last two years of high school they went to prep schools what's the difference in competition level yeah. or even just your day-to-day uh the, the competition level is a little tougher you're playing against like guys who are older you know like in a high school mm-hmm. sense you know you're going to be playing against you know kids your age of your, you know, your age group and your strength level. But when you go to, like, certain prep schools, you'll play, like, you know, college intramural squads. You'll play, you know, guys who are 18, 19 years old, kind of have more of a, of a developed body and strength and stuff. And just the overall atmosphere of prep school just prepares you for college. Like, uh, I always tell people going to prep school was, like, it wasn't about the sports for me. It was more about the, the other things. Like, I wanted yeah. to go, go to college. You know, because I was the first person in my family in college, so I wanted to do something that was going to prepare me for for college. Because I didn't have anybody to tell me like, you know, what to expect, you know, how college life was going to be, how to handle it, you know, playing sports and going to school. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I that's what I went to prep school for because uh, I stayed on a uh, I stayed on campus. So same thing you do when you go to college: stay on campus go to classes on campus, you know, eat, eat on campus. Everything you do is like basically that. I wasn't living at home. I wasn't able to go home after school and, you know, do work, study hall, all that stuff that you have to do when you're a Division One college athlete and you go off to school. So um, that's what I thought prepared me for, you know, you know, for, for college. So that's, that's yeah. what I used it for. But the sports stuff was, was, was good too, because you played against guys who are, you know, you have post, what they call postgraduates. So guys who already graduated high school, but they still are, playing, you know, high school level stuff and they're not using their college eligibility just yet because they decided to take an extra year or two to get ready yeah. for college. So um, 
that's just where the competition level difference is that you got guys who are a little older, a little stronger, a little faster than what they're normally accustomed to playing to if you were playing, you know, regular high school ball. You know, that's one thing I never thought of is like, yeah, the, the amount that going to prep school actually prepares you um, for college being the next step. So then, you know, what was that step like for you where you transitioned into, you picked football as going to be your full-time playing guard at Temple University. Um, what was that transition like? Uh, it was it was cool. Man. It was a rough transition, to be honest. Um, even though I did do year prep, college ball is just it's, it's a different animal in terms of, you know, the amount of time that you have to put in, you know, the, the, and then also balance, you know, school and going to class, being a full-time student and being a full-time athlete. It just your schedule was just crazy, man. It was wake up at 4 a.m., go to go to bed at 11 p.m. and do it every day for, you know, 365 days a year. So uh, I think my first – my freshman year was like – it was a hard transition my first, like, six months, man. I had a hard time trying to figure out balancing, you know, becoming a better football player and putting a lot of time and extra time into football, but then also having to put the time into my studies and keep up with school. And, you know, a lot of guys, that's where a lot of guys kind of, you know, they don't realize, they think it's just, oh, I got a scholarship, I'll go to school, I'll play ball, you know what I'm saying, have fun, do whatever. And it's it's a lot of work, man. It takes it takes a lot of uh, growing. So, um, my freshman year was, was like a rough transition, but, you know, once we got into like football season and I started to, you know, pick things up and start to show that I was, you know, a, a student of the game, you know, things kind of went well for me in my college career. And I started as a freshman and kind of just started every year after that. And it was up and down, but, you know, uh, I, I did enough to get a shot at the NFL. The one thing I noticed when, you know, looking through your high school and your time in university as well is you had, a, like, so many good athletes, a lot of different positions that you were playing under. You were, you know, on the D-line, on the O-line. I saw even some tight end in there as well. And you were, you know, guard at Temple. Um, but I know also you spent a lot of time as a pro playing tackle. So how are you able to, you know, transition between all these different positions? And like, even, you know, for me, when I played, if I was normally a right tackle and they just had to have me step in at just left tackle, right? Even the same position just flipped how different it feels on your body when you have your hips in that way. So, you know, how are you able to manage those transitions between all these mm -hmm. different positions? Yeah. I think just, just trying to be an athlete, man. I think my uh, basketball background kind of helped me a lot because I was used to, moving in, in multi multi directions, you know, at the at the, the drop of a hat in a sense. Because if you know the game of basketball, when you play defense, you're kind of, your hips are always swinging in different directions and moving yeah. in different directions. Feet have to quick. So I think my basketball background, my basketball background helped me a lot with making those transitions. And I've always been a fast learner. I've always been able to, to you know, kind of see something and kind of emulate it to learn how yeah. to do it. And that was kind of like my, my whole career of learning how to play O-line is, I didn't play online in high school. I didn't play it as the, at a young age. I picked it up as an older age. So the way I learned and the way I, I got better was I would just watch people who, who they would say like, oh, this guy is doing it right. And then I would just watch him and just copy exactly what he did. Just learn how to do it like that myself. So um, I would like, you know, after when I'm not in practice in my room, I would work on my sets. Like I would work on my stance so that I got comfortable yeah. with it. So when I got to practice, I didn't have to try to make that transition to try to be comfortable with doing it there on the spot. I did it in my room for an hour the night before, so that way when I got to practice, it didn't feel out of place. Um, and then once I, once uh, it, it, like like memory, it just became memory. So once I got comfortable with doing it a certain way, I would just remember how to do that, and it just right. kept doing it that way. 
that way, you know, it, it just stay consistent. So, um, yeah, my college career too, it moved me around a lot. Like I, I never played O-line. I played O-line maybe my senior season and that was just out of, you know, necessity my coach, um, just because of the player I was. Hmm. Which actually play online, and I was, you know, I, I never online because you know when you play online, you don't get any glory, you don't get your name in the paper, people don't know, you know, what I'm saying people don't talk about yeah. you when you play online. So I, I wanted people to talk about me, so I never wanted to play online. <laughs> but um, I did it my senior year. I was pretty good at it. I was pretty good at it, you know. Just I was just out there just playing football, man. It became it became kind of a, of a rush for me to be able to pick up another guy and kind of throw him on the ground, or, you know, pick up another man and move from point A to point B. It kind of became kind of like a rush for me, and. Uh, when I got to college, it was the same thing. Uh, I just kind of, you know, once I learned how to how to get that rush and that feeling, I yeah. just rem- remembered it, and I just kept doing, it, kept doing it, kept doing it. So everything just kind of became muscle memory for me. Started my college career, I started the first couple games, and then I got moved to right guard, and then the next year played left tackle, and then the left tackle uh, center got hurt, and they actually played center. And then we get back to, you know, training camp. And then right before training camp, I'm thinking I'm playing center. And then they're telling me I'm going back to left tackle. And then we were getting games, like, my first three years in college. And I literally played uh, every position but center in the game. Like, every each, 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 each guard, series. Each tackle. Was, yeah. Yeah, each series I was changing position. So the first series, I started at right tackle. And then the second series, they told me to go to right guard. And then the third series, they told me to go to left tackle. And then the fourth series, they told me to go to left guard. And I was like, in my head, it just became so normal because I did so much practice that it just became normal to me. Like, I just thought I was a utility guy. So I kind of made my bones off of just being a utility lineman where just I didn't think of myself as just a guard. I didn't think of myself as just a tackle. I didn't think of myself as just a center. I yeah. thought of myself as an offensive lineman, and I learned everything. That's kind of like what became, you know, my calling card as I got further into my career is when I would go to teams, I would study the entire O-line. I would learn everybody's job. I never just learned one position and just focused on one position. I learned everything. So then that helped me get a better understanding of the playbook with the other four guys were doing. Then I knew if I was the right guard, I knew how to do my job. If I knew what the other four guys were doing or what they were looking for. So, um, yeah, like I, it just became my calling card because I did it so much through my career and just switching positions that I just kind of learned how to play the game that way. Yeah. So, you know, you, you talked about wanting more glory as you don't really get a ton at O-line. And every O-lineman has that dream where they get to go in at tight end or they get to become a fullback one day. Did you ever have one of those where you're kind of curious to see like how far you would have made it as like a tight end or a fullback or any other position that you kind of wish that you had more? chance to explore yeah i always thought in my football career i was going to be a tight end or or a defensive lineman um d-line i had fun playing with the most just because the the like i said thrilling the rush of, of being able to hit a man or move a person is what became like my my thing even them asking me it was like what position you want to play and i was like oh I, I knew i wasn't fast enough to be a tight end i mean i was a good enough athlete big guy but I knew I wouldn't be I would be like a subpar tight end I didn't think I would be like a you know Antonio Gates or or one of those guys like uh so in my mind I was like oh I play D-line because you know um I'm strong you know I, I know how to move I'm, I'm for a guy my size I'm more agile than the average guy with my size so mm-hmm. um D-line was what I thought was going to be my calling card so when I get recruited I was like yeah I'm gonna play D-line and they were telling me like oh yeah you know we're gonna let you play D-line they let me talk to the D-line coach. And then I show up first day of college, and they're like, oh, we're moving your offense. 
I was like, okay, like, it was kind of like uh, the old line thing was just kind of pretty much I was just told by people who knew the game better, knew, you know, position. They just told me, like, yeah, you're going to play O-line, and I didn't really have a choice. So um, I always thought, like, would have, could have, should have, like, maybe if I played D-line, what would have happened? But to be honest, um, I think O-line was it for me. I think I think I, I was the – I was great uh, – a great O-lineman. I think I was prototypical, you know, had the – the attributes to make me a above average offensive lineman as opposed mm-hmm. to being just an average D lineman. And uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, in the beginning of my career, I thought, you know, I always thought what it could have should have. Because uh, in high school, I actually played in a high school all star game against uh, Anthony Davis, if you remember. Yeah. He was a, you know, high draft pick for the San Francisco 49ers. Right. Best football players from New York, best football players from New Jersey. And I was playing DN against Anthony Davis, and I beat him. I beat him. I beat him for two tackles for law for a sack. So, like, after that game, I always thought, like, yeah, I'm going to play D-line because he was, like, the number one O-lineman in the state of New Jersey. He was, like, top five O-lineman in the country. Like, he was a big recruit. So, the yeah. fact that I was out there, you know, giving the work, it made me think, like, okay, man, I got a future with D-line. But when I got to college and they made me play O-line, and I just grew to love O-line. So, once I got to my senior year of college, I never thought about playing anything else. I was just happy to be O-line. So then, you know, you had a really successful uh, college career. Did you expect to go on draft day? I did. Uh, actually, going into my senior year, I was the number two rated offensive guard, senior offensive guard in the country. So I was projected to be like a, a, a late second, early third round pick when I was come, when I was going into my senior season. And uh, the season before that, I had played left tackle. So I, I was being projected as a guard in the NFL. You know, I was playing left tackle in, in college. Um, mm-hmm. but my senior season, it went, it went well. I, I got, we got a new head coach, um, with Brad, that an offense with like Tim Tebow and he coached the Pouncey Twins. And so we kind of ran that same similar offense that Florida was known for when they was winning, you know, when they won a national championship, Tim Tebow and they had guys like Percy Harvin and you know, the Pouncey Twins and, and yeah. uh, Aaron Hernandez and those guys. So, um, we pretty much ran that since my senior year, but, our calling card just became a, like a power running team. That's all we did. We just ran power. Like, I want to say we ran power like 50 times a game. And I was always the guy pulling. So I always pulled. I always pulled. I never did anything else. I just pulled. And then I, you know, did play action type of thing. So uh, my senior year kind of, I think just the overall aspect of, you know, scheme and how we, what type of offense we ran and, we played Penn State. We used to play Penn State every year, and Penn State was always like a big game for us. And they always had, you know, three, four, five NFL linemen on their team. Hmm. And uh, yeah, the critics try to say I had a bad game against Penn State, which I don't think I did. You know what I mean? When you play, when you play against a good football player, you know, it's, the, it's just the nature of the beast. When you're O lineman, they expect you to win every rep. So when you lose one rep, then it's like. You know, a D-lineman can win one rep, and they say, oh, he had a great game. But what about the other, you know, 62 reps where he didn't do anything? It's just the one rep that they talked about that he won. So it was kind of like one of those things where I played a good D-lineman. He made one, maybe two, three reps against me in the game. Nothing, you know, nothing that you should bat an eye at. But, you know, you know the game of football, you know, for D-lineman, they just got to have two pretty good plays, and they had a good game. I mean, you got to be perfect for the entire game. And if you're not, then you had a bad game, so. Um, yeah, I guess the talk around me kind of sputtered and I made a lot of bad decisions with hiring agents and stuff like that. And the people I was working with when I was coming out of college that kind of just didn't support me the way they should have. 
so I ended up going undrafted. But uh, yeah, I I, I got a shot. Actually, I think where I messed up, I wish I knew. You know, if, if I knew what I knew now back then, probably would have been a little different in terms of my career. But you know, I was just making, like I said, I was making a lot of bad choices with with the people that I was working with. Um, just wasn't really looking at it. In, in the right perspective, and it kind of just backfired on me. But, I mean, I still got an opportunity to, you know, just be in the NFL and be around guys and, and get that experience that a lot of people just a – lot of, a lot of guys who play football just don't get. So, um, I was blessed in, in that aspect of it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I wish I had a, a longer NFL stuff like that. But, I mean, just to even have the opportunity to go there was a blessing for me. Yeah. So, it's actually something I, I haven't really talked with anyone about yet is – having an agent and their purpose and if they're worth it, because, you know, you've seen some players negotiate their own contracts. Um, do you see a lot of value behind having an agent with your experience now or what's your situation like? I mean, I still have an agent right now. Um, I think now at the point, at least the point in my career now and what's going on, and I know I've learned how to agree contracts and how to negotiate contracts and what's supposed to go into them. So I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure I can do it myself now. And I see a lot of guys. A lot of guys now are going towards that route of doing their own contracts and stuff like that, just because you can save that three percent and keep it in your pocket instead of giving it to somebody who could just, you know, look over a contract and tell you you got the right stuff in it and just sign it. So that's pretty much what an agent does. Like all they do is go over your contract, or they just talk about the terms that's supposed to be in the contract. And then most of them are like have a lawyer background, so they know how to read the verbiage and stuff like that to know yeah. that there's nothing, you know, nothing crazy in there. So it's basically agents, basically like a, like a contract advisor. So once they once you sign your deal, most agents, you know, you have some agents who go above and beyond and they do other stuff for their players. And then you got some agents who just do the bare minimum. All they do is they look over your contract, they tell you to sign it, you sign it, and then that's it. And at the end of the year, they they actually three percent. So I think it's more agents. Agents are important if you got a guy who's going above and beyond and doing extra stuff, getting you endorsements, getting you. You know, um, talking to, to have great connections with teams where their their buddy is a GM or something, where they can just pick up the phone, and text, and call that person directly instead of you know trying to email or talk to a scout. And you know, yeah. or, you know what I'm saying? Like those are the those are good agents. Like the Drew Rosen, the Drew Rosen house guys who have the GM's number in his phone, he could call him and talk to him personally. You know, like uh, if you watch the movie Jerry Maguire, it's kind of it's kind of that's kind of really what. It's like, you know, like the good agents are able to go in there and, you know, have have the, the number directly to the general manager and talk to them directly. You know what I'm Those are the guys who, who keep the players on team more frequently. And uh, I've heard situations where um, guys are getting cut and the guys who are getting signed is because, you know, the GM is a buddy with the agent. And he owes him a favor. So, so he's signing one of his players type of thing. Like, that's that's yeah. just the world of – that's the business world of, of, of football. That happens. So, um, that's the positive of having an agent, and uh, yeah, that's the negative. Positive and negative of having an agent. Right. So then, you know, going back to your NFL career, so you signed with the Dolphins. Um, but the one interesting thing about that with me is that that season of the Dolphins was featured on Hard Knocks. Um, I was wondering if you could speak to what it's like to kind of having those camera crews around, filming everything, capturing everything for release. Um. It was actually Hard Knocks was kind of like a like a blessing for me because uh, I ended up being the very first cutter of the show, and uh, I had no clue 
you know, what kind of went into it. That's kind of my first introduction into the business of football outside of, you know, just putting on your pads and lining up and going out there and playing. There's so many other things that goes into the aspect of being a pro, pro professional football player or professional athlete in general that a lot of guys are just, they're just not, not astute to it. So um, that was my first like introduction of the business side of, of football, you know, because yeah. uh, they pretty much brought, they pretty much kept me around to cut me for the show. So, because the team already kind of knew, the team already kind of knew they were going to release me at least a month before we started training camp. And this was, you know, after we did OTAs and all this other stuff, they already knew they were going to release me a month before. But they pretty much kept me around so that they could cut me and have some content for the show. So they, I, I, I flew down to training camp. And when we was there for OTAs, the cameras wasn't on. And then as soon as I get back to training camp, then now all the cameras are like following me around. They're asking me questions. They walk me to my room. So I thought they were just doing it for everybody. I didn't realize I was pretty much getting set up to get cut. And it they have they have the first twenty minutes of episode one. Yeah. And I remember it was season season set twelve or seven. I can't remember. I think it was season twelve, episode one, Dolphins. And that was when they hired Joe Philbin and all that stuff. And the first twenty minutes of episode one is me getting cut. And I remember because when it aired, I was in New England in training camp with the Patriots. And I kind of made like a joke, tweeted out like, oh, you know, hard knocks comes on tonight. If anybody watches it, you know, let me know if you see me. So I'm thinking they cut me as soon as I walked in the door when I got to training camp. So I'm not thinking I'm going to be on the show. And then I'm going to find out I was the first 20 minutes. You know, they got me in the t- They got footage of me in the DM office getting cut, footage of me going to talk to the coaches. They, they made me run a conditioning test and they cut me directly after the conditioning test, which like blew my mind. I'm like, why would you make me run if you knew you was gonna cut me? Like I could have uh yes, that was just the, the reality of it. And and then once I kinda I kind of saw what was going on, the show kinda let me know what it was. And uh Philbin wanted to sign a, a veteran offensive lineman that he, he he coached he hadn't coached the guy since college, but the guy played ten years in the league and he wanted to sign him. And then they cut me to sign him, and then the dude ended up retiring two weeks later. Like it was the craziest thing ever. So, yeah, um, yeah that was that was that was what hard knocks was for me. But it, it was like I said, it was a blessing in disguise because I got a little following and a little fan base out of it. People wanted to see how my pro career went, and they wanted to see where I ended up and how it went for me. So, um, there's a lot of people that that's been fans of me since since that day. Yeah. So, you know, you did move around a good amount in your first year. You know, Patriots, you know, you were with the, like you said, the Arizona Rattlers at one point, Chicago Bears, Panthers, a whole bunch of different teams. Um, what were the kind of the key takeaways from being in that many different locker rooms? Um, Just how, how different personalities mesh and you could tell what teams are. You know, you could tell the teams that are good. I, call, I always compare my time in Calgary to my time in New England. It was kind of the mm. same to me. Um, I always knew that the culture in the locker room, you knew why the team was successful. Because the culture that was built in that locker room and in that organization was just like, you come to this team, you know, and not every team has that culture. Um, but I think the, 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 the most fun locker room that I was ever part of was when I got to Chicago and I got to be in a locker room with like guys like Brian Urlacher and Lance Briggs and Julius Peppers and Peanut Tillman and Matt Forte and, you know, Jay Cutler and just those guys, man. It was, it was unreal, man. Uh, uh, I remember um, the first person I met when I got to the locker room was Brian Urlacher. 
And uh, he used to call me Chef South Park because <laughs> um, I guess I got a deep voice and, you know, the way I talk, he, he always be like, Chef. He was like, yo, Chef, what's up, man? Like every morning he would come <laughs> in, he always called me Chef from South Park. <laughs> it was the funniest thing ever. But they, they made that locker room, like, it was fun, man. Like just that little bit of time I got to play under Lovey Smith, like, you could tell why guys like playing for Lovey, man. That locker room was just, uh, it was just bubbly every day, man. Fun. Guys enjoyed coming to work. Guys enjoyed, you know, being around there. And that was probably like the, the one locker room I've been a part of that felt like a, like a real, like, brotherly relationship in terms of locker yeah. room. And New England was like, New England was kind of like that too. But you could tell in New England, when you walked through the door, it was business. It was about football. If it wasn't about football. They didn't, they, it had no business being there. So, um, yeah. That was like the, the contrast that, that I got to see in my first year, like playing pro ball. Yeah. So then, if you're in one of those locker rooms um, where you you really enjoy the atmosphere, is it more led by the Brian Urlachers and the Matt Fortes, or was it more you know head up by Lovey Smith? Um, the locker room was 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 like a safe haven. So a, a lot of coaches, especially players, coaches, they tell you know the lock locker room is a safe haven for the players. Like, Players control what goes on in the locker room. You control the environment that goes on in here. So having guys like Erlocker and Briggs and them, like they made sure the locker room was was a fun place for everyone. Everybody enjoyed being there. Everybody enjoyed spending time with the teams. Because when you play a sport, man, you spend a lot of time with the guys you play with. You spend more time with them than you probably do your family. So of course the relationship that you build with them has to be, you know, paramount in everything because it, it translates to the field. So that that culture that they built in that locker room was just fun, man. You know, and guys dancing, guys playing games. Um, Erlock used to get big boxes of like shoes and stuff every week. He would just take all the shoes out and you know have it, you know, have it filled with all those those little you know styrofoam things. And he would it used to be a stairway that came out of the locker room, kind of like a bridge overpass that was above the door. He would stand over the door with the box and wait for somebody to walk out and then dump the whole box on top of their head and be like, scream, box him up. Like, it was just stuff like that. That just yeah. made it fun to go to work. Damn. So, you know, moving on with your, you know, your pro career that you finally found a home that you stayed at for a long time in Calgary. Uh, what's that adjustment like for, you know, being an American coming to Canada for this t- first time? You know, you're probably used to the weather a little bit from being from New York, but I'm sure it's still a really big adjustment. It was a big adjustment in terms of just um, when I got there the first time I got there 15, it was winter time. So if you've never experienced a Canadian winter, man, it was it was brutal. I never been in in, in weather that was that cold. But uh, that, that's that's probably like the biggest adjustment when when I came to Canada was learning how to play in extreme cold weather and enjoying it and just having fun with it. Um, cultural wise, like. I love Canada, man. Canada's a fun place. Um, a lot of the stuff that you hear about it before you get there, it's kind of true. You know, people are just super polite. They're super nice. Even when they're being mean to you, they're still polite, which always blew my mind. Hmm. I'm from Italy. Everybody in New York is kind of rude because it's, it's, it's a crowded place. Yeah. But, yeah, just like I said, me being from New York, I come. New York is just, you know, it's a big, overcrowded you know, a lot of people were rude. So when I got to Canada, it just saw, like, you know, just how, you know, everybody conducted themselves, just the environment, how, you know, how mixed it was and how many cultures and people that you could come in contact with. 
Uh, I love the man. It's, it's a different type of, you know, vibe that you would normally get, at least for us, you know, U.S. players. And plus, too, you get to see beautiful scenery, like, you know, going up the bank for the first time and seeing the Rocky Mountains and, you know, Lake yeah. Louise and all that stuff, man. That's that's stuff that, you know, you normally don't, a lot of people don't get that experience. So um, just being able to, you know, spend a lot of time in Calgary and do some of the stuff and, and see some of the beautiful scenery and be in that city, man, I, I love every minute of it. Awesome. Yeah, you know, I'm from Calgary, so it was, it was cool watching you. And it's really interesting to see when American players come here and, and the way that they adjust to uh, the cold is always the first one. Moving on, after Calgary, you left there and then you joined the XFL for the little bit of time that it existed. What were the XFL operations like from, you know, you said you've been in these really good locker rooms where it's all about football, it's all about business, and it's they have it down to a science. Uh, but was the XFL what you expected it to be? Yeah, it was. It was, man. It was. It was. It was good, man. I, I enjoyed my little bit. I was only there for about three weeks, maybe a month. Um, but it was cool. Once I got to a team, um, I think the adjustment with the XFL was that whole team. I think having that that team that was just a practice team and kind of how that was constructed, that was a little different for me. Just being a seasoned pro vet and going into kind of like a like an introductory, you know, setting where it was kind of like they were just trying to teach guys the game of football, like guys wasn't coming from, you know, solid backgrounds. That was an adjustment for me. Once I got to New York and I got to play with the Guardians, man, I enjoyed it. It was especially fun for me because, like, I'm from New York. I got to pretty much play pro football in my own backyard. So, you know, every day after practice, I got to go see my mom and my parents and my sisters. And that's normally stuff that I never got the opportunity to do. So that was the fun part for me. Um the operations was pretty good. Uh, they had really good coaches in XFL, like a lot of coaches with a lot of NFL experience. So you were getting taught, like, essentially felt like, you know, being back in the NFL. The structure of things, how practices went, stuff you were learning. Um, it, it just felt like being back in the NFL again. So I thought it was great. I thought I had a really good shot of uh, being successful and being around for a long time. I don't think anybody's foreseen what, you know, COVID-19 was going to be coming and what it would become. So um, I, I would, I really would hope, you know, if COVID didn't happen, I would have loved to see what, what the league became. Um, there's actually a rumor that it's probably coming back next year. So I hope so, man. See if others assign me, maybe I'll get another shot to go back. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the XFL, some of the games were, were rough um, when we were watching the first couple of weeks. And it kind of came down to, at least from, you know, the fans' perspective of, the team had to have a good quarterback. Um, and, you know, you were lucky where you had one of the, the good ones because some of them were they, they didn't quite have the quarterback position figured out. Uh, it, it was a little rough to watch, and you kind of found out very quickly how heavily the game's content relies on that quarterback position. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's any pro league. I mean, you think even in the NFL, the team that doesn't have a good quarterback, you're not going to like watching, you know, the team play because offense is hard to uh, be successful because you don't have that, that one guy that can get the ball where it needs to be. So having a, a guy who's smart enough to understand where the ball needs to go and how to get it out and how to relay message to work in unison, that's important. Um, it's football in general. I think that's probably why you always see quarterbacks get paid so much money because you don't have that guy who's pretty much to be that coach on the field that can get everybody in the right spot and get you to do the right things. Then, you know, your team struggles to have success. That's why, you know, the Patriots, you know, the, the biggest – cog in the Patriots machine was Tom Brady 
Yeah. Uh, a lot of people like to think like it was the system that made Brazil good, but I mean, I was there. I got the experience that Tom was was generational, man. Like I've never seen a quarterback like that who, to the point where the offensive coordinator was asking him, you know, input on the playbook and route combinations and, you know, protections. Like Tom knew the protections better than the O-line. He knew the routes better than the receivers. He knew the running back track and where to go and, you know, he knew it better than the running backs. That was just yeah. the type of quarterback he was. And you see how successful an organization could be when you got somebody back there who could do those things, you know. And uh, it's – it's but it's generational. Not everybody can do it. Not everybody like that. So the teams who, you know, get a quarterback who can make the cog, the machine go. And then the, you see that's why those guys get paid so much. Um, so, you know, we're running a little low on time here. But there's a couple topics that we always like to talk about at the end. Uh, just to kind of get, you know, to know you a little better. So the first one is you went to school for journalism and like you were talking about, you want to set yourself up for your life after football. Uh, do you have any plans, ideas of what you'd like to do after football and how your life's going to look? Uh, to be honest, I don't really know just because, you know, it's kind of changed after you know, my playing career. I always thought I was going to be a broadcaster after I was done playing. So media has always been a passion of mine. Um, I run my own podcast right now called Insights from the Locker Room, where I basically just bring on a bunch of guys um, that I play with or guys that I've come in contact with in my pro career, and we just talk like how we talk in the locker room. I think uh, a lot of fans like to uh, assume what athletes love to talk about or how we conduct ourselves in the locker room. So I'm just trying to be that guy to give you a sneak peek into the safe haven of the locker room. So um, that's what I'm doing now. Uh, I try to do a lot of media stuff, you know, in terms of this, you know, video. I did stuff with team. When I would get with teams, I would do my own, you know, interviews to do my own content, stuff like that. That was just something I always did. So media was always something I wanted to do. But uh, I kind of feel like, you know, sports get back up and running and make it back to normal. I want to do maybe something with scouting, maybe possibly become a GM one day. Um, if not, I mean, I'm not opposed to getting into coaching. I got a wealth of football knowledge that I would love to give away to the youth and hopefully somebody in the next generation could be a better player than I was. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of stuff I'd probably love to get my hand in, but we'll see. You know, maybe I'll start out with high school coaching or something once uh, things get back to normal after COVID, but that's kind of where my mindset is right now. Awesome. All right, next one. Um, you've played in a bunch of different leagues. I'm sure you have a ton of advice for people trying to get to that next level. What's one piece of advice that you'd like to give to high school, college athletes that are trying to make that next step? Biggest advice I can give is just work on your every day. My mom used to tell me growing up as a kid, you know, every day that you don't work towards your, your dream or your goal is a, is a day wasted. Um, so just, yeah, if, if you spend 20, 30 minutes a day just trying to do something that's going to make you better in the long run for what you want to do, I say uh, go for it. If you got a passion, you know, make sure you, you, you put your – all your time and energy into it if you want it to become real because uh it's an age-old adage but hard work you know beats 10 any day of the week so awesome all right last one um so you know being a lineman you got to eat a lot of food it's just part of it to keep up with your caloric intake if you had to eat one thing for the rest of your life what's that go-to meal yeah um i'm, I'm heavy on carbs so uh pastas and uh and breads and that type of stuff. Anything that has that has carbs in it is pretty much my go-to. Especially like for me, uh, I'm 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 a massive dude. I'm like three forty-five, three fifty. So 
my calorie intake probably out the roof as opposed to other guys. But um, if I had to say a food, it'd probably be like a pasta or something. Any like specific, like specific sauce, anything like that you always gravitate towards? Chicken Alfredo. That's the one? Chicken Alfredo would probably be my go-to pasta. Yeah, I, I don't I don't do well with tomato sauce, man. I'm, I'm I get bad acid reflux when I have too much tomato sauce. So I, oh I have yeah. To go with chicken Alfredo. All right. Um. So we're pretty much out of time. But is there anything else that you'd like to talk about? Plug really quick before we you know wrap up. No, nah, man. Uh, I just appreciate you having me on. Um, I got some merch. I got some bone crusher merch. You know, available. If anybody wants some of that, um, I might you know get my t-shirt line up and popping again. Or, you know, once things get back to normal and uh, yeah. Only thing I have to plug is my podcast, man. Go listen to my podcast. It's called Insights in the Locker Room. Um, available on most streaming platforms, mainly on Spotify right now. I'm working on getting on iTunes. But, um, yeah, you go on YouTube. I got some video content on YouTube, Insights in the Locker Room. So, uh, yeah, check out my podcast. Um, I got the plug. And, you know, if you ever need any help, Apple Podcasts can be kind of a pain sometimes. So, if you got any questions about oh, it, Spotify is sure. way easier to get a podcast on. That's why I did Apple right. Podcasts first. If you get everything approved for Apple Podcasts, it'll go on Spotify, no problem. It's just a little tough to go the other way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, if you have any Thank questions, you. let me know. I'm always happy to help out. Um, but again, you know, thanks, Derek, for coming oh, for on. Oh, sure, man. Appreciate um, you, man. I really appreciate it. And, yeah, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. It's all, all good. Right. Again, thank you for it. All right, man. Peace. All right, man. Take care.